You're tuned into A Kind of Harmony. In this podcast, we're looking to transcend the physical limitations of daily life. In each episode, we speak with a different practitioner who uses sound as a tool or method for connection, transcendence, and healing. We're your hosts, Julia E. Dick and Amanda Harvey. In this episode, we spoke with Backwash, a.k.a. Ashanti Mutinta. She is a Zambian-Canadian rapper and producer based in Montreal, Quebec. She's most noted for her 2020 Polaris Music Prize winning album, God Has Nothing to Do With This, Leave Him Out of It. Her work is based in the horrorcore, hip-hop, and industrial music genres, and includes a culmination of themes around the intersection between faith, identity, and queerness. The poetry of her lyrics are the beginning of a cathartic healing process in which she is granting herself permission to be angry. In 2021, Backwash released her third album titled I Lie Here Buried With My Rings and My Dresses, and announced that it would be the second album in a trilogy. Whereas God Has Nothing was a study in mercy and forgiveness and provided some semblance of hope, I Lie Here You're Buried presents Backwash finding solace in being completely consumed by her malevolent behaviors. Her latest album, His Happiness Shall Come First Even Though We Are Suffering, 2022, is the final LP in the trilogy. It is entirely self-produced. We were curious to speak with Ashanti about her practice as a musician. We discussed sound as a decolonial force, rage as catharsis, and sampling as a way to reconnect with lineage and place. My name is Ashanti. I go by the stage name of, uh, I guess, Backwash. You know, I'm a rapper, uh, producer, musician, <laughs> vocalist, <laughs> if you can list them. And uh, my practice is contained in, uh, if I had to describe it and just put it on paper, I would just say my practice has to do with uh, deliberate rage and kind of uh, transforming all of those feelings into something at the end. So I like to say deliberate because it's not rage for the sake of rage, which in itself is rage for the sake of rage is pretty cool in a music sense. But this is rage uh, that is based on my experiences and that is taken and kind of transformed into the sound itself. I love the way that you've described uh the reason why you say deliberate rage. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think like, uh, you know, there is art, which is just rage for the sake of rage, which I also like as well. But I think this one's more concentrated and deliberate. I really uh, appreciate that. Thank you. I was wondering if you could 
talk about your process for creating an album, whether it's conceptualizing, writing, recording, or all of those things? Yes. I guess before I did God is Nothing, I used to just go into albums with, um, you know, my albums were more just like collection of tracks without any single thread kind of binding them uh, together. Uh, and um, when I started doing God is Nothing, I lie here. And um, his happiness, uh, the most important thing when it comes to creating the album for me is uh, feeling, you know, other practitioners have this thread of maybe like an ongoing story or ongoing sound but for me it's kind of like the feeling that it gives you being the most important part when coming up with the concept of what the album is like so with God is Nothing it was kind of just like dark and melancholy and ominous and A Lie Here was just like so much anger from like start to finish and then his happiness was just kind of like so much more, it was more like more sadness more than anything else. And just kind of like, you know, this is where the feeling of like, all right, this is where the story ends type of thing. So the process of me creating an album is, okay, what is this album supposed to feel like? And then what am I going to do differently is the second thing that I like to think about because I've heard the criticism that, my music kind of sounds similar, but the process of coming up with the music, there are different things that go into it. So with God is Nothing, I was teaching myself how to sample chop. And then I lie here, there was Stigmata in the middle of it, which is an EP, and I was teaching myself how to layer drums. And I lie here is kind of like, I was working with like more aggressive textures. And then his happiness is kind of like, all right, and now I'm working with more melody in that industrial cacophony. Uh, so uh, after I've got the mood and after I've got uh, what new thing am I going to do here, the thing that comes at the end is making the beats. Making the beats is the first part of kind of like the process to completion. So I usually like make beats based on the feeling that I have in my head and then if I feel like this would be a good beat for the project, I end up writing for it. But most of the times, the beats that I don't feel as if fit the project don't even like make it to like the export phase. So most of the ones that are exported are the ones which I'm like really feeling. So after it's been exported, the writing process now comes in and then record it. And then the really important step is the mixing. And I was grateful enough to have someone like Will Owen, who ends up, you know, kind of like being on the same wavelength when it comes to me, when it comes to the type of music I'm making, that they're able to mix my music without distorting it too much. And then the end product is just uh, refining essentially all of those stages that you've done to get to that point. And each time I'm done with the beat, I like evaluating to see if there are any session musicians that could make this much better, especially for something like His Happiness, because there's a lot of guitar on that album, like distorted guitar, and I don't really know how to play it. Again, like plot instruments in the bass tees, but I can't really plot. I can't really like plot guitars if I want to get that like real feeling, if especially I want a melody that is complex. So that was just like another step within like the beat making process. But I guess just to summarize the things, first step, feeling, 
second step is oh i forgot one important part the first part actually is watching a horror movie being inspired by it and then grabbing a line from that horror movie to be the title of uh, the album so god is nothing came from uh, this movie veronica and it was a line in the movie veronica i like here it came from the haunting of blind mena and uh, his happiness came from uh, this Philippine horror movie called uh, Eerie. So once I get the title, I get the feeling. Then from the feeling, the next steps come in, which is uh, the writing, the making beats, the the new thing that I need to learn when I'm producing. So that's essentially how I go through the process of creating albums. Wow seems very regimented, all of the different stages that you kind of have. I love that it starts with inspiration from a film and then you kind of are trying to like find this feeling. And you do all the production yourself. Yeah, it took a while. Uh, during, so there was Freaks, there was Black Sailor Moon. only started rapping on my own beats when I did Deviancy because I was so convinced that Everybody else is a much better beat maker than I was. And, you know, I was really sad about it, but I, I wanted to, like, still work on projects. So I would still, you know, rap on other people's beats. But I would tell myself, like, you know, maybe one day I'm going to rap on my own shit. And then I heard this podcast with, like, Royce the Five Nine, And uh, he lit, like, a spark in my brain that said, you don't really have to be the greatest beat maker in the world you just have to make the beats that fit for you and that kind of like inspired me to kind of create this sound which mixes just like metal noise and all of these like you know industrial and all of these like harsh genres because that sound is like me at that point and it just made sense for me to create it that way and when Royce the Five Nine say that, it kind of uh, lit like a fuse in my mind that says, you know what, that absolutely is right. I'm not trying to make like the greatest like instrumental ever. I just want to make the beat that is right for me. And who else knows how to make these beats sound the best than me? So. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the traditional healing practices of goma, meaning drums of affliction, and how this influences and or inspires your own work. Yeah, so um, then goma is a you know, very important kind of like instrument where I grew up. You essentially almost knew somebody who could play the goma drum. I think they called it like the djembe. <laughs> I think that's the like usual name for like the djembe in VSTs. I think it's called that, but we call it like ngoma drums, drama yavangoma. And um, it was something that we were around a lot. When it comes to like music day at school, the ngoma probably somewhere there and it's very accessible and used in like a lot of uh, traditional cultures for like their practices. You'd probably be somebody playing goma drums with like someone singing in most of like the traditional ceremonies that you see. 
So I'm part of the Chewa tribe. I'm also part of the Tumbuka tribe. And the Chewa side has got this Nyao ceremony and the Tumbuka side has got Bimbuza. And a lot of my, I guess, sample work as a means just to connect with where I'm from, I use the sound bites from these places because to me, it's kind of like my way of reconnecting with where I'm from since, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon because of where I am and my situation, but that's essentially my way of like, okay, this is me and I'm going to reconnect because this is where I'm from. So if a lot of the songs like Spells and, you know, 66 in Osaka and Black Sheep, when they're using all the sound bites and Goma drum is always playing in the background because it's spiritual. <laughs> you know, the, the sound of like the beating drum, it's almost like a beating heart and uh, it's spiritual. And I just like to kind of like mix that feeling of the place that I'm from with the stuff that I'm doing right now to create, you know, something that is, in my sense, makes the most sense to me. And it's my way of honoring my uh, ancestors. I'm wondering if you feel that music can be a decolonial force or a way to heal from colonial trauma. My perspective on that is music in terms of healing from colonial trauma is something that has always existed. When the British came by and they did their thing and they left, you know, people are still writing songs about the ramifications of colonization in itself. And, you know, they were also just writing songs just to cope with like the traumas that were left behind. And, you know, I think music as uh, something that is healing or coping mechanism is something that's been very prevalent. And I, I agree that for us to essentially cope with that trauma, music is something that we use a lot. Now, in terms of the structures that are in place, um, that's a bit much more difficult because you start going into the structures just from an economic standpoint that colonialism has left behind and how that affects the music industry and how that affects kind of like racialized people in it. So there's a separation between like music as an art form is something that can help us cope. Music as a structure and an industry is something that still needs like a lot of work. Definitely, I do see the inherent work that is needed to make things better and more accessible for all. And your past three albums are primarily, I guess, autobiographical? Yes. How do you engage with music making to process your own experiences? Uh, yeah, so I like here Good Is Nothing and His Happiness were well, definitely autobiographical. And it's essentially going back in time because God is Nothing was kind of like present day what I was feeling during that time. I lie here, it goes back to my adolescence to like early adulthood. And then his happiness is something that should take me back to my time when I was back in Zambia. And it's kind of like a weird experience 
because you're putting yourself under this microscope and you're writing or unveiling things that maybe just stood at the back of your brain, but now you're bringing them to the forefront. After I wrote, like, what is nothing, um, one of the first things that I said, well, I never realized how depressed I am, but like, I'm, I'm depressed as hell. And um, it's very interesting because it kind of gives you a chance to just like look at yourself from like the lyrics that you've written and kind of be like, wow, yeah, you know, and that's not something that we usually get. So some would say it's therapeutic. I don't think it replaces like the actual therapy that I, I did need and would need. But I think from the perspective of getting more insight into the person that you are, I think autobiographical albums were uh, a really good tool. I was watching this TV show, The Rehearsal by Nathan Fielder, and he was just a point where, so this TV show by Nathan Fielder where uh, he's rehearsing scenarios, and there's one point where he was teaching a class, and one of the people went uh, that receptive to his methods, so he created a replica of the class that he's teaching and had someone else act as him. And he came in as one of the students who were receptive. And he was able to kind of like see himself from, from a mic, from like the third person. <laughs> and I really like that because I think um, that is what the albums allow me to do and kind of like face facts about your experiences and how you'd like to uh, deal with them. I love that you use the rehearsal as an example. That show was so wild to me. Oh, it's, it's so wild. I like, my jaw was dropping by like last episode. I was like, come on, come on. What is going on? <laughs> but I also love this idea of being able to see yourself from this almost third-person perspective through the process of creating your albums and how you've just said, like, you didn't realize what was going on in your psyche or, like, you know, quote-unquote, how depressed you were until you were kind of confronted with it through your own work. And I think that's really quite interesting. Yeah, it was... um So when I was making uh, the albums, uh, the first album that I started with was God Is Nothing. And then I think the first song that I wrote was Amen. And Amen was this like, you know, it's more political than the rest of the cuts in there. And the first like two songs I wrote after that were Black Magic and uh, the God Is Nothing intro. And because I did Deviance before and I didn't want to be political again because like I've already done that. And I wasn't that successful in it in terms of just the execution. And there are, you know, tons of people who can do like the political messaging far much better than me. So I left it alone. And one thing that I felt was missing in all the music that I did before was just my personal connection to the lyrics in himself. It's like, I don't want to talk in third person. I want to talk about me. And when the first like verse of What Is Nothing came out, that's when I was like, oh, something is wrong because... Sometimes you're in a state of depression and you don't even know you're depressed, but like putting that on paper kind of like made it clear for me like that. This is kind of, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> and do you feel having that kind of in front of you on paper helps you to move through those emotions because now you have more of like a concrete idea of what you're feeling or 
Not at all. Yeah, it helped me formulate what was happening. Because if I went before and talked to a therapist, I wouldn't have like the slightest idea to tell them what's wrong with me. But like after that was written, it kind of like unraveled a lot of stuff that was living inside my brain. And I've never been one to be confrontational. So some of the lyrics in there were pretty confrontational and kind of like unleashed a, a lot of uh, deep feelings that I had at that, at that time. Wow. When it comes to, you know, actually performing in front of an audience, how does it feel to perform this material? And do you feel in kind of the same light the process of performing is healing or ritualistic for you in any way? Yeah, it kind of feels like healing for me. I didn't know how I felt about it before because one thing I forgot is, to put it mildly, is like, the beats were banging. <laughs> so, so, so like, I would perform, like, these sad songs, but, like, the beats are, like, have so much momentum under it that the people start, like, motion or dancing. And at first I was like, oh, I don't even know how to feel about this. Like, should I tell people not to react that way? But then the more that I did it, the more that around this, like, sad set would be smiles and tears of joy at the end of it and I'm just like I'm happy I could put this out and people who have gone through like a similar situation can connect with it and just having people approach me at the end of the shows being like yo I'm, I was like you know in this like messed up situation and I you know I heard this album as soon as I was like waiting for like my HRT appointment and shit like that and you know that kind of like touches me because when you're up there, you're like, all right, these people are having a good time, but do they really care? Then when people approach you like that afterwards, you know, it's like, all right, maybe they do care. And to me, that's much worth more than any award that you can get. Just like having people connect to your music that much is something special to me. So the performance now in my mind became more like healing. You know, I feel, I feel like a banshee when I'm up on that stage with like the dress flowing and, you know, rocking on the hair back and forth and screaming. But like just the feeling on stage and the feeling right after it can't ever be replaced by anything. So yeah, I think it's like a healing process for me. I've seen you perform and I feel that it is so powerful. You have such a powerful stage presence and I love this kind of imagery of a, a banshee <laughs> with the dress flowing. Do you ever feel surprised by the reactions that you get from folks who approach you after one of your performances? Yeah, um, yeah, I guess surprised by the reactions that uh, come afterwards. I guess it's even like, you know, the most macho of dudes <laughs> show up and they say, oh, I like that a lot. I'm straight, but I like that. I like what you did, you know? <laughs> Shit like that. And uh, just having people of different backgrounds connect with it has always been surprising because, you know, when I'm making this, I'm always like, you know, are people really going to care that much? Or when I'm up on that stage, I'm having fun, but I'm like, how much do these people care really? And then they approach me after the show and I'm like, all right, 
this makes me feel much better and it's great and connecting with like just like the black kids as well just like weird black kids who make weird music is that's my favorite because when I was young and kind of like looking for this type of music it was there and there were people doing it but you had to like really go and find people that were doing this type of like genre and just connecting with like the black kids that show up and say I'm happy there are more of us around and it's the greatest. <laughs> It's very clear that your music and performances offer a cathartic and transformative experience for your listeners. And I'm wondering, you know, to what extent do you consider the listener's experience when you're writing or when you're performing? I don't really consider the listener's experience when I'm coming up with uh, the songs because, okay, no, that's not entirely true. When I'm coming, I guess from a technical sense, I don't really care what like anyone thinks, but I like to put care in how the lyrics are told. So I want the lyrics to kind of be centered around me, myself. You know, this is what I'm going through. And I wouldn't want the listener to kind of, I want it to be very deliberate and kind of like the imagery that is being used because sometimes my imagery can be very graphic and I make sure I take a lot of care in that because I don't want to be violent for the sake of being violent. I don't want to be traumatic for the sake of being traumatic. I want it to have purpose behind that and I like to um, make sure that the listener kind of knows that if there's anything that even reaches that level I want them to understand that these experiences that I'm describing right now is centered around what I went through. And it's not just put in there for the purpose of shock value. And when I was coming up with God is Nothing, I had never done like anything like it. And one of the things that I was thinking, I was like, shit, should I just like put like a, a huge trigger warning like at the beginning of the album? But it's like, that kind of takes you out <laughs> of the listening experience. So I think I've just made it clear that this is my usual content. And sometimes I see people recommend this album, my albums, and I think that's what they usually say. They say, you know, it's not an easy listen. And that is true. And it's not that uh, easy if you're more sensitive to like the more graphic stuff. And especially if you don't live in the world that I'm uh, describing. But when it comes to like technicalities, I really don't care if, you know, the listener hated some 808 pattern that I put in one song. I, it doesn't really bother me. That's totally fair. And I appreciate that very much. <laughs> You're doing the music for you to an extent. And so <laughs> I love that. But also I can hear, you know, in you describing your process and in listening to your music that there is a lot of care and deliberate attention put into all of the lyrical content 
and the beats themselves. So as a listener, I really appreciate that. I'm wondering if, you know, the kind of audience response from or to your work has given you any insight into the healing power of expressing anger. Yeah, I guess it's just when you're going through those extreme of emotions, it's nice to have someone who can relate and having people relate to the topics that are in the work is eye-opening because some of them are like, yeah, I just put this on when I'm like really angry and I want to, <laughs> I want to feel like fuck you to the world. And that to me is really awesome because it set up what it was supposed to do. <laughs> and um, I think there's, uh, there's healing in that. Do you feel surprised at all knowing that others really identify with the kind of anger that is expressed. Yeah, it's uh, it's shocking because to me, these experiences are very concentrated to my feelings and my expressions at different parts in my life. And before this, I felt as if I lived a very unique existence, but you know that couldn't be further from the truth. It's a existence that a lot of people have had to deal with and it's reassuring that we're not really alone in in this fight. So would you say that the process of like performing has allowed you to connect with a community that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have found? Yeah, it's even less about them communicating with me and more about me uh, connecting and communicating with them. So I think the connection, I guess, from my personal standpoint, you know, goes back to that question of does anyone care? And it's like, yeah, they do care. And they've gone through similar stuff. Totally. And right now, what are you working on, if anything? Oh, yeah. If you're comfortable sharing that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't really, like, go into specifics, but... uh, No worries. (laughs) I got really into, like, melody in my last, like, project. As weird as that sounds, because music is melody, but (laughs) I, I guess that could be debated as well. But I got really into, like, just the melodic aspect, and I wanted to explore that further so uh, i'll be doing god willing i'll be doing some soundtracky stuff cool can't wait to hear more about that or listen (laughs) thank you (laughs) i just have one kind of final question that we're asking to everyone who's included in the the podcast yes And you can kind of speak to this in whatever way you wish. But in sound, what do you feel is hidden and what do you feel is revealed? So in sound, what is hidden and what is revealed? I think in sound, what is hidden is hopelessness and what is revealed is survival. That is how I can put it. Hidden, hopelessness, revealed, survival. 
the gay rights now. I think it's about time the gay brothers and sisters got their rights, and especially the women. How will this affect you and your job? Darling, I don't have a job. I'm on welfare. I have no intention of getting a job as long as this country discriminates against homosexuals. There's only homosexuals, bisexuals, and trisexuals, darling. And there's no straight people. Thank you very much for talking to us. Why are you here today? I'm here because of a dyke. <laughs> right on. Boy, I mean, I, I dare you to call that name. Kind of Harmony is hosted and produced by Julia E. Dick and Amanda Harvey, with the generous support from the Canada Council for the Arts. This episode was edited by our production assistant, Laura Dickens, with mixing and mastering by Evan Vincent, project management by Christian Scott, 
Graphic design by Mutual Design. A huge thanks to all our contributors for their generous involvement in this project. If you'd like to support this project and what we do, please follow us on Instagram or subscribe to our Patreon.